Our series is called Sealed, and it's about relationships. And so when you see that seal, you see an outward sign of an inward bond. A bond that was broken, but a bond that has been restored because of the justification that comes through Christ's death and the power that comes to us through the Holy Spirit in His resurrection. And the way that that restored relationship with God then also enables us to have healthier relationships with each other. So we've talked about, we're, we're going through the, the book of 1 John, the letter of 1 John, uh, and asking questions. Really, really, these are six invitations to healthier relationships. And today is an invitation to truth. An invitation. So when it comes to relationships and truth, we have to name the problem, right? What's the problem when it comes to truth and relationships? And the problem is this, as somebody said, everyone's entitled to their own opinion, but we're not entitled to our own facts, right? But sometimes we get those confused. And then we try to respond to someone who, with whom we disagree. How do we do that better? How do we do that better? Instead of carving the world up into sheep and goats, instead of constantly reacting to each other. How do we, when we disagree, how do we come together? How do we get curious? And the answer I think you're going to see in 1 John 4 is think slower. Think slower. From the Word of God, 1 John chapter 4, not 5 as is printed in your bulletin, but chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Hear God's word this morning. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, with, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this was made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. May God bless us through this, his holy word. Let us pray. God bless us now to receive your word, not only into our minds to understand, but into our hearts to believe that through our lives we may live. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, think fast. You know that, right? You know what that means. 
Think fast is a reaction. Like when I was standing in my cupboard and opened it up and the cayenne pepper fell out and I caught it right before it shattered on the countertop with three fingers, like that, on the way down. And of course I looked around to see if anybody saw it. You know, I was like, nobody's there. This is my karate kid moment and nobody's there, right? You know, it's great with objects and that sort of situation, but it's not so good with people, right? Thinking fast is not great with people. My freshman year in college, I was uh, piled into a hallway with a bunch of other guys that were, you know, just getting to know, and everybody stood up and introduced himself, and, and one of the guys stood up, and within 10 seconds, I knew that we would never be friends, that we would never get along, that we would not connect. That was my roommate the next uh, four years. <laughs> You know, he had sort of a swagger to him, and I thought, no, that's, that guy's not for me. And uh, we ended up becoming very good friends. He was here just a few weeks ago. He's in our wedding. Thinking fast doesn't work too well with people. It's a little more complicated. But we try to make it work. We try to make fast thinking work for us. We try to divide the world into sheep and goats. I remember being, uh, you know, 20, 25 years ago, I was at another church and there was a big conflict and every, you know, even households were divided against each other. It was, a, it was a terrible experience. I hope nobody ever has to go through. And uh, I remember thinking, wow, I, I thought I knew this person and um, I was so disappointed in so many people. And um, it was really, really tough. Uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was such a hit on morale that there were, there were some people who left ministry and never, never returned. And I was almost one of those people. It was, it, was, it was a very, very trying time. And when we left that place, I, I remember thinking to myself, and this is a terrible thing to confess, but I remember thinking to myself, I was meeting new people at this new church, and I remember thinking, I wonder where this person would have, how this person would have behaved where I was. And I remember thinking, I need to recover from that. It's a terrible way to think. To try to carve, and, and we try to do that. We try to think fast. We want to think more efficiently. Or we're disappointed in people when we think, well, I, I'm just going to carve the world into two different kinds of people. The kind I like and the kind I don't like. And, and I'm going to have my profile of the kind I don't like and my profile of the kind I like. And I'm going to just herd everyone into the sheep or the goat category. We do that. And, and it is very... We've been given a ministry of reconciliation. We've been given a precious gift of, of truth and grace. Now, how do we move towards each other in conflict? Without compromising truth, right? Without compromising truth. And, and, and here's, here's where we're going this morning. We can connect and reconnect with each other. This whole idea of sealed. We can reconnect relationships that have been severed. We can do this. We have the tools to do it. We have what the world needs. We have what the world wants. We have the resources to heal relationships. We can connect without compromise. When we're curious. When we think slower and become more curious with three simple words and one simple question. Help me understand. Help me understand. 
the value under your opinion? When, when, when you're, you're in a disagreement with somebody and their opinion, help me understand what you're really valuing under that opinion. Help me understand. Help me understand the basis of your opinion. Help me understand where you're coming from in terms of the basis or authority. And then help me understand how this works out. How does this work out? Let's just call it, the third one is just sort of, how does this work out? How does to take us together towards our common end, right? How does it work? So help me understand. That's where we're going this morning. Help me understand what's the value, what's the basis, and what's your how. The first, help me understand your opinion. When, when we're in disagreement, help me understand. What are you really valuing under that? What are you You know, there's, uh, in, in verse uh, 2, it says that Jesus came in the flesh. And, and this is a great illustration towards us because of our value. Even when we're in conflict, he moves towards us. He comes to our turf. And sometimes it's just right, the plain meaning of the text is just so powerful. Anyone who believes that Jesus came in the flesh, that this isn't just some ideal or storytelling, but that, that God himself made the world, the world moved towards the mess, that God steps onto our turf. That's what incarnational ministries are. I mean, entire ministries have been launched out of, out of just this beautiful idea that when there is division in relationship or when people are living life far from God, that we move towards them, that we step towards them. Now let's, let's examine this principle within a conflict. I remember some years ago, uh, we, after the um, earthquake in Haiti, this was some, many months after the earthquake, there was somebody who wanted to do sort of an airdrop of, uh, they wanted to take a big uh, train car almost, a big cargo bin of grain and send it by plane down to Haiti. And there was somebody else who had been involved down there for months and months, and he said, I don't think we should do that. It's going to hurt, eventually hurt the economy. And this guy's going, but these people are hungry now. They need, they need food now. And, and it was just very tense, and they were just at each other. And this guy, he was sitting there, he was saying, no, I don't think it's going to be good for them in the long run. You're talking about the short run. I don't think it's going to be good for them in the long run. And so, so if I'm that person who's saying, look, I don't think we should send this grain, okay? And you're the person who's upset with me. Here's what you can do. You can say, well, help me understand, what are you valuing in this? When was the last time you saw a debate on TV between political opponents where one of them said, well, help me understand. <laughs> I mean, it's almost funny, isn't it? I mean, it is funny because it doesn't happen. Hey, you know what? I heard what you said and I disagree, but help me understand. What are you valuing underneath your opinion that I hate? I hate your opinion and you because you're a goat, right? I mean, that's where we are in this country. That's how these... And that's what, those are the fireworks we turn on the, turn the channel to see. And it does sell. But we've got to live with each other. And this country has to come back together. And we're in a small town, so we feel it even more than most people do. 
Because if you're upset with somebody, that's the person you'll see in the grocery store the next day, right? I mean, it never fails. It's like you're crossed up with somebody and, oh, there they are. They're going to dairy. I'm going to head over to, you know, I'm going to head over and get some bread, you know? Never fails. But we need to figure out how do we come back together? Help me understand what you're valuing. If the person who did not want to send the grain to Haiti, you know, was squared off with the person who did, and the person who did want to send the grain said to the other person, help me understand the value. What are you saying here? Why don't you want to help these people? And he's saying, look, I've watched this over the last several months. And the last, what, we flooded the market down there with grain. And it has destroyed the economy of, of a lot of the farmers who, who were just getting a foothold, who were just beginning to develop their business. And we need to move from relief to development. Sometimes, as you know the book, some of you all know this book, Sometimes helping hurts. Sometimes helping does hurt. And so now, instead of people just clashing over, over these, these different opinions where one thinks the other is Satan and the other one thinks the other one is just so, so goody two-shoes or something like that, or however we carve people up, and they each think the other is a goat and they think of themselves as a sheep, Right? Now we're underneath that and we're seeing, I see what you value. And I can see maybe we can, maybe there's a compromise or maybe there's some common ground here. Or I sure at least appreciate that what's driving the difference, the value that's there. That you're not waking up every day just hate-farving people. <laughs> but in fact, that you care about the long-run efficacy of the way that we help people in mission. You see, there's a value. There's always a value. Even if you think the person is just horrible, what they're doing, they're, they have to wake up with themselves. They have to go to sleep every night. Help me understand the value. But not only that, we have, to, we have to understand. I mean, Jesus came into the mess. Jesus said, help me understand. Jesus moved towards us seeing our value, even though we were broken people. He moved towards us. We're called to move towards other people in conflict. But we also have to understand the basis What's the basis? And this is what verse 1 is all about. Beloved, don't, be, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. That's being made. This isn't all about herding the sheep and the goats. You know, the wheat and the tares are sown together. We can't always tell who's following Christ and who's not. We do need to distinguish what is true from what is false. What, and in other words, what is the authority of a claim to truth? What's the authority? Testing the spirits, you know, it sounds sort of fuzzy and you're not sure what that means. But, but time and time again, from Revelation to, Gen- to Genesis, I mean, from Genesis to Revelation, you, you see when, when they're talking about testing the spirits or, or when, it, when, it's, when it has to do with like the Holy Spirit comes and fills, what, what are, what's being empowered there is the truth, is the ability to see scripture as truth. And so when you're testing the spirits, it's, it's like saying, well, what's the authority? It's like the Pharisees coming at Jesus saying, by what authority do you do these things? And they're not saying even about his teaching. They're saying, you're able to do some things. I mean, there's an implication there, right? There's an implication. I mean, sometimes it's amazing. That's a powerful bit of evidence about who Jesus is. Because there were people that were upset with him that he was doing things that they couldn't. They're saying, by what authority, right? What authority? We can't explain what you're doing, but so tell us, what's the authority? What's the basis? In other words, when you're seeing somebody and you're in conflict with them and you don't agree with their opinion, help me understand. Where 
you get that? I hear your opinion. I hear what you're saying. But where'd you, where'd you get that? I, I, I've, I've run into this example. I'm going to give you an example of, of this whole idea of like, what's under this person's opinion? There's an opinion that I think sounds really generous, but it's really, it's really very corrosive and corrupt. It sounds generous, but it's corrupt. I'm going to describe to you what I'm talking about. Over the years, I've heard people say, well, he's such a good leader, or, you know, I really like him because he always errs on the side of grace. Errs on the side of grace. This always bothered me. Early on, I thought, well, that's that's a night, that sounds really good. I don't always err on the side of grace, but when, when when I'm being gracious, does that mean I'm in error? I mean, how does this work out? See, when we're being gracious, it's always to go in the direction of truth. It's to invite people to truth. Grace and truth are never apart. They're inextricably linked. John, there's a letter to John, John's gospel. He says in John 1.14, he says that Jesus came and he walked among us full of grace and truth. 100% grace, 100% truth. Not compromising either one. He never erred on the side of grace. You don't err on the side of grace. Here's what, what I think is going on with this. We don't like disagreement. And so we try to say, well, we're just going to be in different places. We're going to agree to disagree. But we, in a pluralist society, we cannot agree to disagree on everything. We have to, we have to understand what is the authority for truth. What's the authority for it? You know, here's what I think is actually going on too is, now I heard this very recently that somebody was complimenting a pastor who was always erring on the side of grace. And what I finally figured out what she was talking about was, was this, that he was functionally a deist. Convictions. Well, it's easy to just say, well, everybody's just, let's just all get along. I mean, that's great. You know what you are when you're a deist? I mean, you're saying, I mean, it sounds really generous, right? It's like God is distant, right? I mean, Bette Mittler is your, is your chief theologian, right? From a distance. You know, so God is a distant God. He's vague. He's just, sort of, he's just sort of out there. He's just other, right? That, that's, the, that's the philosophy. But here of deism, it's to make me the basis. I'm the authority now. God is too vague to be defined. We're not going to let that get in between us. I'm going to be generous about your view, and you're going to be generous about my view, and, you know, never the twain shall meet, but we're just going to say, I know, it'll all work itself out. And there's never any discernment or distinction. There's error. I mean, if you're going to err on the side of grace, that's an error. You don't want Tim Philston to be the authority of what we talk about on Sundays. I am no authority. The word of God. That's our authority. And so it is so powerful though. And, and we don't take this, now, don't take this for your gospel guns and go into your next you know, debate with your cousin who you know, thinks crazy things and you're gonna say, well, what's your authority? Because my pastor said that your authority is deistic and now I know that actually your authority is based on you and you're a rapscallion and actually you're a goat. Let me hear you, you know, make a noise. You know. So I mean, don't do that. Just take this and help them discover. See, this is what's the, the powerful opportunity in what I'm saying here. This is an opportunity in this passage to move towards one another in the mess of conflict 
and to recognize that we can discern that what, what is true and that when we, when we understand the basis and the authority of what someone is saying or making a claim to and you ask probing questions, you're curious, you are generous, you're gracious so that they can discover the basis themselves. How amazing is that when somebody sits down with me and they help me think through what I'm doing and what I'm thinking? And then I discover something. I that, right? You help me discover. This is what I was really basing my thinking on. Do you see how that mends, how that builds bridges when your heart is for discovery and your mind is searching for authority, for truth. So, help me understand. Help me understand where you're coming from. Help me understand the basis. Where'd you get that? Where, where's that? I mean, how do you know that's true? Uh, genuinely, I, I just want to know, how do you know that's true? On what basis? Is it just your own feelings? Okay. Well, how do you know those are true? Help, help me understand. And then finally, it, it really it comes down to this, is for us to understand when someone has a position, when they have an opinion about something, it's about politics, about any issue or about some, some uh, way of being, some habit or whatever, whatever crosses up relationships, whatever someone might claim that can cause division. Help me how that works out. Like, if we all did what you're saying we should do, does the, the means, right, the means aim us at the ends? Or does the end, our chief end, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, does that participate in the means? Did you follow that? I, I think it's difficult to, to think about these things. So let me... Let me let me go to something that's more familiar. We all know that, you know, sometimes we say the ends justify the means, right? War is an example. Rather than having uh, one person uh, become a tyrant and subject all democracies around the world to their tyranny, we would stand up uh, and we would stand against. And it, it, it could come to blows. The ends in that case, there are, there, is, uh, there, there are times when war is justified, in other words. There is war. The ends justify. But regularly, in conflict, on everyday peaceful times, how do, do we become people of peace without compromise? How do we connect without compromise? Well, it, we have to understand that if somebody, if somebody is, is saying, I believe this, well, how, is, how does that work out along the way? Like, if, if, you want to, um, if you want to advocate for something, a position, you pick it. How does that work out along the way? And does that, along the way, does that, does that bring us together for the whole or just the part? Does the end, in other words, the goal and vision of of, of human life or of, of even your opinion, does it work out in how you get there? Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., I think, is, is one of the greatest examples of 
the ends participating in the means. If, if the ends, for example, is for us to have a more perfect union, right? We the people in order to form a more perfect union, right? And all the rest of that, that song from Schoolhouse Rock. You remember, you, you're hearing it in your head like, we the people. You know, a more perfect union, that's the end. And, and you realize that there's some equality here sort of baked into how we're living, Right? And Martin Luther King Jr., instead of saying, okay, let's force this, let's make this happen, let's, let's, let's get violent. What he did was he organized people to demonstrate the ends in the means of change. You see? They would sit at a lunch counter where they really were not legally allowed to sit. They're breaking the law. But the ends were participating in the means. And the means was, look, we're just going to sit here nonviolently. We're going we're gonna to sit here at this lunch counter and, and um, we're going to try to order some lunch the way uh, we should in a more... Along the way, through the means. And so I think it's important sometimes when somebody is saying, I, I feel this way. Or, I think we should go this way. Or, I think we should do this. To ask the question, help me understand, how does the means of what you're doing take you to the ends? Do they match up? And if you really want to get to a place of a more perfect union, for example, does, does, does this violent action take us to a peaceful resolution? You see? Verse 8, God is love. Throughout the scriptures you see long-suffering of God. Sometimes you see him bring down drawing a line of discipline. And it looks really hard, right? Like the whole book of Habakkuk is using a foreign power to bring discipline to Israel. That's hard. That's tough. But he's willing they're good. If you're running towards a cliff and I trip you, you know, on a regular day, if I trip you, you're you're not going to be too happy with me if I did it on purpose, right? But if I trip you and, and, and I prevent you from jumping over a cliff that you didn't know was there, you thank me. Well, this is people of Israel who are trying to make life work for them apart from him. And it is to will their good. To will their good. And sometimes we do have to draw lines in ways that are difficult and hard on people. But we have to ask ourselves the question when we're in conflict, does what you're doing, what you're proposing, I understand what your value is, and I understand the basis of what you're saying, and I understand where you want to take us, but does the means of getting there, is the ends, are the ends in the means? Do you see how amazing it is to take the conversation down and slower? To, be, to ask questions like, help me understand. What, what's the value under your opinion? What's the basis of your opinion? How do the how does the end, where you want to take us, participate in the means? Oh, why is this so important? Why is this so key? I mean, to, to, to recognize that in these three little words is a discovery about truth itself, that it's personal. Truth is personal because at the center, we are in a moral universe, right? We can't just say live and let live on every issue. We have to recognize there is moral structure to the universe and we need to recognize that, that we are called to find it. 
We're called to pursue it. Because in the end, it's personal. Chesterton said this, what we suffer from today is a humility in the wrong place. We can't be humble about the truth. Modesty has moved from the organ of ambition, that's personal ambition, and it's settled on the organ of conviction, where it was never meant to be. A man was meant to be doubtful about himself, but undoubting about the truth. And that's been exactly reversed. We're on the road to producing a race of people too mentally modest to believe in the multiplication table. We're called to truth, to be a people of truth, but the way we get there has to be truthful and graceful. Because ultimately, truth is about relationships being healed, bringing people back together. You know, I'm just amazed when I, when I look at the scriptures and I, I think about what we've talked about this morning, and then I, I just sort of picture that moment where Pilate is looking into the face of Jesus and he says, what is truth? What is truth? Oh, he was so close. <laughs> so close. What is truth? And truth ultimately is a who, not a what. And so let's be curious. Let's get under. Help me understand. Let's pray together. Holy God, how we thank you for your, your goodness, your gracious truth lived out among us that not only shows us the way, but gives us the power to become. Lord, help us to be gracious and truthful people. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand for the closing hymn.